Welcome to another episode of Joe's Nose. This episode is being brought to you in part by Kona Boys, Green Organic Superfood Brew, Hurley, Oakley, Kona Coffee and Tea, Maverick Sport Vision, Deuce Gym, Original Nutritionals, Mokalele Airlines, and GoPro. GoPro has been transforming the way people visually capture and share their lives. What began as an idea to help athletes self-document themselves engaged in their sport, GoPro has become a standard for how people capture themselves engaged in their interests, whatever they may be, from extreme to mainstream. Professional to consumer, GoPro enables the world to capture and share its passion in the form of immersive and engaging content. For more information, go to GoPro.com. Or you can find them on all social media, such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, LinkedIn. And go check out their new Session 5 or their Hero 5 Black. These things are badass. They don't have that big bulky case on them anymore. Um, they're voice activated and touchscreen on the back. It's super sick. And they just came out with a Karma drone. Yes, a drone where your camera attaches onto this thing. It's super easy to work. And I'm excited because I want to get one of these things so that we can film this podcast with a drone cruising around us. How cool would that be? <laughs> I, I love it. I'm excited. I can't wait to get one. Um, so check them out, gopro.com. Um, also, you guys can check me out on all social media. Uh, Dozer Dave on Instagram, Dozer Dave Barnett on Facebook, Dozer Dave Knows on Twitter, and dozenose.com, where you can see an in-depth look at our guests, listen to the podcast, um, also links to their bios, links to our sponsors, um, where our sponsors throw all kinds of killer weekly deals as well too. Um, so check that out with promo codes like Doze Nose and Dozer 3 and stuff. It's pretty dang cool. Um, we've had an exciting week. There's been so much going on. Donovan Frankenreiter was just here. We just did a killer tour. He's finishing up this weekend on Oahu, so go check him out at the Blue Note. I know there's still tickets available there. Thanks, Donnie, for uh, coming out here and rocking out all these places. Um, February 27th, we got Citizen Cope coming up. Uh, yeah, Citizen Cope coming to Kona. He's going to be playing at Laverne Sports Bar, and he's going to rock the house. I think tickets are almost sold out right now, so if you want tickets, hit me up or go to Humpy's and Laverne's and get your tickets there before they're sold out. Um, we got two shows on Maui on the 28th and then the 1st of March at Fleetwoods on Front Street. That's McFleetwoods Club. Um, tickets are selling fast there as well. It's a smaller venue, but super sick venue. And you get to be right up front with Citizen Cope. So go to fleetwoodsonfrontstreet.com, get your tickets, or just walk in there if you're in Lahaina and check them out. Um, this week we have a special guest that I'm really excited about. Um, we're going to announce his right here on Doe's Nose Podcast his North American summer tour. And I'm talking about Jack Johnson. The one and only Jack Johnson is on Doe's Nose. And for the first time since 2014, Jack Johnson is taking his chart-topping catalog on the road for a North American summer tour. And it's kicking off, uh, off on June 2nd at the Huntington Bank Pavilion at Northerly Island in Chicago, Illinois. It's going to be ending on the West Coast. Um, I know fan pre-sales started a couple of days ago on Valentine's Day on the 14th with a public on-sale date starting today. Um, 
So go to jackjohnsonmusic.com for additional details on the tour and to register for your first opportunity to purchase tickets. And those fans who purchase a ticket will receive a download of Jack's new song called Fragments, which is also available for purchase and streaming live on all iTunes and wherever you get your music from starting today, February 17th. Uh, the track also is premiering on rollingstone.com today. Uh, the highly anticipated new material accompanies the film The Smog of the Sea. It's a documentary that provides a new perspective on the once pristine oceans of the world while making an artful call to action for rethinking single-use plastic. The Smog of the Sea is also available to stream starting today at smogofthesea.com. You know, curbing the single-use plastic has been at the forefront of Jack's work for over a decade. Since 2005, Jack's crews have implemented a plastic-free backstage. Yeah. And since 2007, all shows have offered free water through water refill stations. And, and to even make it even better, in 2014, Jack successfully helped launch a reusable pint program at the Santa Barbara Bowl, which has since inspired venues all across the country to follow suit, including the Les Schwab Amphitheater in Bend, Oregon, and all venues that are owned by Live Nation. That's a lot of venues. Um, this summer, more venues are going to adopt the re reusable pint program, which provides fans with an alternative to you know the disposable plastic cups that you see everywhere. Fans who purchase these reusable stainless steel cups at a venue concessions will receive a discount on all beverages uh, refills for the life of the cup. And that's doesn't matter if you buy your, your cup in Chicago and you want to go see him in Forest Hills, New York, or um, Santa Barbara, or wherever he's playing, bring that cup and you're going to get discounts on all your refill purchases. That's forever. Um, in addition to these plastic-free initiatives, Jack and his production team, alongside Reverb, will continue to pave the way in green touring practices with extensive sustainability programs at every show. On the 2017 tour, additional greening actions include sourcing sustainable biodiesel for, for tour vehicles, um, producing upcycled and eco-friendly merchandise, uh, expanding waste reduction from composting and recycling. The tours uh, will also local will source out local and organic food as part of the farm to stage program. They'll offer bike valets. <laughs> I love that. And alternative transportation incentives, as well as offset all remaining CO2 emissions. Um, through, through Jack's All at Once campaign, the, the summer tour will support over 140 nonprofit partners and will engage fans to take action in support of sustainable local food systems and plastic-free initiatives. Fa fans can visit these partners in their village green at the venues and participate in these greening actions at each show. And get this, they get a chance to win a chance to watch Jack um, in the best seats in the house. That's it. From the stage. You get to be up there on the stage with Jack. For all details, go to jackjohnsonmusic.com forward slash greening and uh, get your tickets there. Find out all the info. It's pretty exciting. 
It's exciting to have Jack on the show. Don't forget to tune in at the end of the podcast where Jack is going to do an exclusive song just for the Doze Nose podcast. I'm really excited about that. So, um, Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm super stoked. Um, we've had quite a week so far. Um, been hanging out every day. It's been perfect. Yeah, I've been doing that G Love tour where I was promoting and kind of managing him while he was on tour, which is, that is what tough. You, is that what you were doing? Yeah. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough, man. Um, it's it's kind of the first time I've ever had to do anything like that. You look like you're having a good time to me. I was having a blast. <laughs> I was having a blast. But it was better watching you guys up on stage having a blast. That was fun. I don't think I've ever seen you so, you know, your grin was ear to ear. You know, I had several friends after, you know, because I don't play around home too much. I mean, every once in a while, a lot of my friends that don't normally get to see me play live, I had a bunch of them the next day say, you really like playing music with that guy, don't you? And I was like, yeah, definitely. Because they could even tell. All my good friends could tell how much fun I was having. They see me when I'm all nervous. Usually hometown shows, I get so nervous. Right. But playing with Garrett, it's just so much fun. It, it does. It makes you nervous in front of all your friends? Yeah. And family I mean, and stuff? Southern California is the same. We've got a lot of friends and family there. I have a great time. I mean, it's the shows that I really look forward to. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm actually walking out on stage... And I see a couple of friends here or there. And, you know, it's, it's a lot easier when you just walk up on a stage. You don't know anybody there. And you just, you know, put on a fun show. Right. When you have, I like having the friends around. But, like, for instance, if I see my mom, then it's just like, oh, no, I just can't stop thinking about my mom. You know, right. Like in the front row or something. <laughs> now, when you're out there on, on stage and stuff, especially with a big, giant crowd like that. Yeah. Do you look above their heads? I, I know some people, they won't even make eye contact with people. Because as soon as they do that, it just kind of screws them up. Once I can finally open my eyes, it takes me like some couple of songs usually to even just open my eyes. Um, then I, I, somebody gave me that advice years ago, but it always feels a little weird to look over their heads because, I mean, I'm there to connect look with them. Look at the people in the back row, like, yeah, yeah, way back. back there. But I like, I actually, usually I'll look around and uh, I'll find somebody that just looks like they're having an amazing time. Uh -huh. And then, you know, and you see that group of friends that's just so happy to be there, kind of. Once I feed off that energy, it elevates our music, and then you, they get more stoked, and it kind of goes back and forth. So, yeah, after a while, I, I find that. It, but inevitably, if you see a guy who just looks bummed out, my eyes keep going back over to him, wondering, is that, <laughs> what is am that I guy happy? Wrong? Yeah, yeah. It's right. Like, we had, yeah, it's, it's over the years, it's, uh, there's always funny ones that at the end of the show, everybody in the band be like, anybody happen to see that one guy wearing a whatever shirt? You know, like, there's been funny ones through the years. There's one guy years ago who every time I get eye contact, he would just shake his head and put his head down. And um, I just couldn't stop looking at the guy. He was, he was waiting for the band after. He would shake his head? He would shake his head, no. He would basically say, no, this is no good, and like put his head down. He uh, he was waiting for the band. This is opening day, so we weren't the last on the on the bill. So uh -huh. he was obviously waiting around for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Well, you, you know, your music is... Um, 
such a happy music, you know, so it makes everybody feel so good about themselves and, and just listening to you and seeing you up on stage. I, I loved when you were brought up, you know, the crowd just was like, oh my gosh, Jack is now on stage. <laughs> and a lot of people didn't know that you were going to be there. Yeah, that's always a fun part too. I mean, I love, you know, G-Love and Special Sauce when I was maybe 18, 19 years old. And he wasn't much older. I mean, he's only a couple years older than me. But when he was first getting his start and I was in college, um, I can remember being, I can remember the art class I was in, you know, and I remember I was drawing. It was this, it was uh, like fundamentals and drawing kind of thing. And I can remember sitting there drawing and hearing this music and thinking like, whoa, what is that? And I just sat there and didn't draw for a while and listened to it. And I just loved the way it sounded. And um, went out and got the record. My wife and I became huge fans. We just... Anytime he come through town, we'd see him mm -hmm. play. And it's just one of those weird ones that I actually got to meet the guy. And um, and that's always a cool thing about the job I have is, you know, and it's similar to you. It's, you know, you cross paths with people that you really admire. And sometimes you get a chance to meet them. And that's a really, that's a privilege, you know. And then, then to get to call somebody a friend and get to go beyond mm -hmm. that thing of just meeting one time. And Garrett was like that. We just, uh, we hit it off right off the bat. First time we've hung out, we played music that day, we surfed first, came in, played some music, and uh, next day he had me in the studio, it was the craziest little couple of days of my life, and, um, but anyways, yeah, we've just always had this thing where, like, it was nice that we surfed first, it wasn't based on right. the music, you know, it was kind of this friendship um, where I'm more the surfer, he's the musician, it's like, I'm a, I'm a surfer that likes to play a little music, and he's a musician that likes to surf every once in a while. <laughs> so right. The two of us have this perfect little yin-yang that... Um, and that's how I've met both of you is actually through surfing. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. I find that, I mean, that's... For me, you know, it's like surfing. It's, I can't remember the first time I surfed. It's all the way back from when I was just a little little guy on the front of my dad's board. And so, like, my whole life is kind of based around surfing. So whenever I meet somebody in that world of surfing, uh, it's usually a pretty strong bond that comes mm -hmm. out of it. And so, yeah, with Garrett, it was he wanted to go surf and he was out on the West coast and I was living in Santa Barbara at the time and a uh, friend in common, Scott Sowens, uh, mm -hmm. good photographer, surf photographer, got us together. He, he knew him from their uh, childhood days. And so he got us together and yeah, just going for a surf. The, the music was just a side note. The waves were fun and we surfed all day. And then right before we left, actually Scott said, Hey, he put me on the spot and he's like, Jack has his guitar in the back of the car and he's really hoping you guys are going to jam. And I was like, oh, so embarrassed at first, you know, but then <laughs> he, uh, he's like, oh, of course. And that's how Garrett is so warm. I've seen that guy through the years, just like make people feel so good. Not even his music from the stage, but just the mm -hmm. way his, you know, his personality is. He just, he likes to get people laughing. He's, he's such a good guy. He is. And that was, you know, the last show that, that you guys did was at the Blue Note um, downtown of Wahoo. Yeah, and, that was uh, cool. It was, it was a total different vibe from like being at Turtle Bay the night before where everybody's just up on their feet. They're dancing. The place that was is a full packed. party. It was a full party. We were lucky that, uh, that Leon Mobley showed up because yes. we kind of needed some drums. And he, he's, like a, he's like a whole band, he's Leon. So good. <laughs> he jumped up there. And that, yeah, but you're right. The, the transition was almost tough at first, but I really enjoyed playing the Blue Note too because at the Blue Note, Everybody was listening. It was like a quiet right. club. Was, you you know. guys were able to tell stories. Yeah. So it was surfer. like a storyteller event yeah. and then into the songs. That was cool. And how you guys got to know each other and um, and then what each song was about. Yeah. And then you guys laughed and joked and it was so much fun. That was a lot of fun. That was a cool venue. It was really nice. Yeah. yeah the sound was good in there and it was, um, 
it was fun for me because I got there right before Garrett went on. Uh, we were running a little late. And when we got there, I put my guitars in the back and then he was starting and I wasn't sure. Sometimes once it's all quiet and we're sitting there, I wasn't sure I'd be able to go out in the front of the house or not. And um, I peeked out there and you were with, right with me, helped me find the table and went over there and it was cool to get to sit down and actually just watch Garrett's show. Yeah. And I forgot I was even sitting in for a while and it was fun just to be a fan and sit in the front. Cause a lot of times you hear from the back or the side of the stage, uh -huh. everything's a little muffled. You can't quite hear the right sound. So I love when you can get out in front and actually watch a show, you know, when you're in a festival or yeah. another person's show to go and check out the. Well, I've been watching yeah. from the sides yeah. every day, you know? That's fun too in its own way. Cause you see, you get that angle from the performers side, right. you know, where you get to see people's faces and. That energy coming back towards the stage is really, yeah. it's a unique experience. It, it's kind of a, the same uh, concept view that you guys have. So I get to see who's having a good time. Yeah, yeah. Who's <laughs> dancing, you yeah. know, and what songs excite them. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. There's so. that one little uh, six-year-old girl oh, yeah. in the front who just kept giving me fist pumps all night. And that was like, that was a perfect example. All I had to do is look over at her. And well, the best was when she bumping. ran up on stage and just gave you a big hug. <laughs> that was pretty cool. And then she was going to run off stage, and Garrett's like, hey, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, she was, was so cute. It was good times for sure, and uh, I was just super stoked to be able to be part of that. It, yeah. This stuff has just kind of randomly happened for me because Garrett would come over and visit me just to come surf, and he's like, hey, bro, let's... If I'm gonna come over here, let's do some shows. And yeah, you were the fun. That's right. And but weren't you the first the first podcast was that with Garrett? Was he the first one? That was one? my very first yeah. one a year ago, almost a year ago. So you're gonna be my anniversary edition. Oh nice. And cool. yeah. Yeah. So and now I, I've got my sound better. Yeah, nice. So when we you first did, did it, we couldn't figure this recording you device got out. Two microphones here and everything. This is professional yeah well we had the two microphones before oh, gotcha. but it was recording through these little mics oh, over here transition over and of course it was a giant room that was all hardwood floors right. and granite and so it just echoed really loud right 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 but um yeah i think i've kind of uh mastered it a but little see, bit i mean more. that's a perfect example of gary he probably he was probably part of the inspiration to get you going on your thing he was he sees that in people you know he likes to inspire people to do their thing well one of the things was i had started listening to podcasts about six months before the not this last fiji trip but the one before mm -hmm. and i was i was so tired of hearing the same stuff over pandora and spotify that i wanted to just start checking some new things out right and so when i got to fiji i kind of asked everybody hey what do you guys think of me starting a podcast every single person was like heck yeah as a matter of fact we'll sponsor it just get this thing going i know i want to get your voice for like when i got to talk between songs Get you that can nice, have it. Nice radio voice, man. You can have it. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie Vetter wants me to do his uh, um, Sirius XM radio station. Yeah, nice. So he goes, the guy on there right now is kind of boring. And, <laughs> you know, you could liven right. it up a right, little right, bit. Right. But, um, you know, you've had uh, quite a career so far. It's been fun. It's Can't been complain. really fun. Yeah, it's been a blast. I had first heard of you through Rob Machado. And Rob was over on the Big Island, and he's like, hey, Doz, um, my friend Jack's playing at a corporate gig. And this was like when you were first starting. Big Island. Yeah. Did I show up? I don't think I ever played. You did. No. My wife wouldn't let me go at the time. She's mm -hmm. like, no, you've been having too much fun. And uh, so Rob went by himself. Right. I think you were playing up at the Monolani or something like that. Oh, it was that. I think you know what it was. No, okay, because I kind of pride myself. I haven't had to do a like a corporate gig really yet. And so what it was, it was a conference. 
uh-huh. but I know what you're talking about. It was a private thing, and I can remember you guys coming in. Now. Yeah. Uh, but it was a, uh, it was like a conservation conference mm-hmm. over there, and it was a funny situation because then everybody started like all words started getting out that I was going to play a show, but it was kind of this like private event for all the people attending this conference. And so then there was like the side door and people started sneaking in and stuff. Uh-huh. And I was, of course, like thinking, man, the more of my fans you can get in, the better and stuff. So I kept going over and trying to let people in the side door. Right. And that was pretty funny. The organizers <laughs> were starting to stress a little on everybody coming in. But it was, uh, but I remember that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, that was uh, good fun for sure. And um, and I've only been to a few of your shows, actually. Um, one time you got me into a Kukua festival. is. Oh, uh, Maui gosh. or over here? No, it was over here. Oh, cool. It was at the Shell, and I want to say it was maybe eight or ten years ago is when Kelly yeah. owned that property up in Pupukea. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was a really good show. Yeah, thanks. And then other than this those, last those weekend. Those are always fun. Those are always, we have so many sit-ins and stuff at the Kukua Festival. That's, yeah. No-brainers is so easy because there's so many talented people around. So, oh, fun. my gosh, so many. Really fun. And then you get people like like Leon, like last weekend, you know, yeah. just popping up out of the woodwork, no, and Kelly and Rob. And um, what did uh, what really got you into this? Because I know you grew up right in front of Pipeline. Your parents have a house right there, and um, that was like your home base growing up. And yeah. your next-door neighbor, which is a, another one of our mutual friends, Pef, mm-hmm. um, he told me the story of how he got you started playing guitar. It's true. Yeah, he was the guy. He when I was about fourteen years old, I started learning chords, and uh-huh. it was um, I was kind of into like some of that music, and I'd hear Pef play songs, and all the folk songs he plays sounded great. But I was also really into um, like Metallica stuff at the time, right. you know. I think and Justice for All had just come out, and um, so I was learning two songs that first week it was um, Father and Son, Father and Son by Cat Stevens, and one by Metallica. Right, I was gonna say one. A lot of people learn one, you know, it's like a nice easy intro. And um, so that was kind of the spectrum for me. And then as the years went by, I kind of got more into like hardcore punk and uh, got really into like Minor Threat and Fugazi. And we had a high school band. We used to practice in my brother's um, garage, like 16, 17 years old, 18, I guess. And we were called Limber Chicken. Uh-huh. And uh, we only played like a handful of house parties. We never did like an official gig, but we practiced a lot and we sounded horrible, but it was, uh, I mean, actually we sounded pretty good, but it was a lot of noise, you know, and it was really yeah. fun. And it was a blast. And it was, um, I just fell in love with it right there. I can remember the first time I heard a Fugazi song, uh, the song Waiting Room mm-hmm. on KTUH, the college station we get on the side of the island. And I was driving my car, heading to school. And hearing that, I think it was, me and a couple of my friends uh, in the car and just thinking like, oh, I got to start a band and start making something like this, you know. And uh, so it kind of went from there. I mean, I fell in love with it then. And Are some of your original bandmates still your bandmates now? No, but still uh, run into them all. One of them lives in Japan. He was the singer and bass player and he was with us. We were in the, not to digress, but we were in the, the earthquake and tsunami that happened over there. Oh, yeah. We were in Japan at the time. And so he was with us hanging out and uh, helped us get some flights out of there the next day, or it was like three days later. We got kind of stuck there for about three days. And um, so anyways, I ran into him. I see him every time I go to Japan. I see the drummer, my friend Luke, He's he lives down in Laie. And so I see him when we go hang at the beach on the east side. And then my friend Kale, the other guitar player, yeah, he just lives right around the neighborhood too. So I see him 
around cool. and yeah so still all friends but the guys in the band it was uh, i was living in california that when i started kind of well i mean to rewind a little bit you brought up rob machado and you know i went to school and kept playing music the whole time but when i got out of school i had a, a degree in film and the malloy brothers and kelly and all those guys knew i knew how to use a film camera now mm -hmm. and that was during a time where film still looked a lot better than video you know you, right. like you could really tell when something was shot on film and so they were all excited to have me come and start documenting the trips they were doing and <clears throat> chris malloy and i started working on thicker than water which is still one of my favorite thanks movies. yeah me too i mean just when i watch it for me it's like getting to remember this year i got to travel the world with all these friends and all the beautiful spots you went so i love watching that film that one and september sessions yeah that was really fun too yeah that was a crazy week and september session yeah that was right around the time i mean i remember between those two films is when it kind of it all the career part started sparking for me it was um the all those guys you know rob and kelly uh dan malloy i mean all the malloys but um i just remember those guys in particular really uh, making copies of like these little home recordings I had mm -hmm. and they would be passing them out more than I'd even realized because every then I was when I was traveling making uh, thicker than water I'd get somewhere like we went to South Africa at one point and there was all these groms out in the water that were like are you gonna play a show here and I was blown away just thinking like how do these guys even know I play music and they're like yeah we got your um, tape and we all burnt you know it was right during the time where like mini discs were kind of getting popular and I was mm -hmm. just, it's you know funny time but you could actually like burn thing from one to the other and it didn't lose much quality so it was like kind of spreading around and everybody was making copies of it and it was in big part because of rob and you know kelly peter rob King. was one that's turned me on to you yeah i had known your dad uh -huh. but uh i had known you right and so rob's like have you heard jack johnson's i'm like uh no he's like dude you gotta listen to this yeah he really i mean rob really and just played it over and over and then he'd be on the guitar and he's just playing it yeah. over and over and i was like this is pretty cool i mean it's funny because there was even there was um like around malibu there was um this one producer they got my recording because his daughter got it from a surfer from malibu who had got it from rob i guess uh -huh. is kind of the story we got and um so we were editing september sessions i can remember editing september sessions and getting the phone call to come in uh, for a meeting because they'd heard my music. And this is before I'd made any kind of like real demo or anything. It's just my home recordings, you know? And so I was just thinking like, wow, it's crazy. This is happening. So I, but the neat thing for me is like every part of the career is kind of like the, the furthest I dreamed was sort of right there. I mm -hmm. mean, it was like, well, I could actually like maybe record some of my songs, you know, I mean, this is pretty cool. And so, when I got that call, it was funny because they asked me, do you want us to, do you have your manager's phone number? Do you want us to call your manager or will you tell them? And I was, at that point, didn't have any manager or anything. And um, I was sitting next to Emmett Malloy. We always laugh because he was, he was one of my smarter friends too, but he was also just the guy who was sitting next to me at the time. And I got off the right phone. Right place, right time. Yeah, I told him, I was like, oh, I'll just <laughs> tell my manager. I don't know why, the fully George Costanza did it where I just, completely lied and then i was like damn i can't go back now i don't know why i told him i had a manager but i thought maybe if i said i didn't they would be like oh you know he's too small time or something so i i said yeah i'll tell my manager i got off the phone and i told him i was like you got to come with me to this meeting and pretend like you're my manager now you know and so he um he came along that was pretty funny and we just he started reading a book like how to be a music manager and he's still my manager now so he loved it he was just like are you kidding me yeah like, it was yeah. fun but you know he, him and my wife they both do it my wife is really smart she's the first one who started dealing with all of our um like guest lists 
And then when we started doing these little van tours, uh, she would help count in the merch every day and like take care of the merch table out in the front and sell t-shirts and then help book our hotel room. So she was like my first tour manager. Uh-huh. Um, and then I kind of, she would take breaks from, you know, we'd tour like on spring break cause she was a school teacher. And then eventually I kind of stole her away from that because I needed her. Uh, well, both just yeah. cause she was my wife too. <laughs> yeah. So it was nice to be able to travel together. And then she always had a place on the road. It wasn't just kind of like, um, she didn't feel like it was just an aimless right. trip. Cause I mean, that's fun to do, but after a while, I mean, if you're really going to make it a career, it's kind of hard to be out there, I think, and not have, you know, your best friend, something to do. Yeah. And your best friend. So, and that, you know, that's something that I, um, I'm jealous about with you guys. You know, I look yeah. at you guys and, um, I see the way that you guys look at each other. I see the way that you guys interact with each other and, you know, I'm single and yes, I am looking for someone, you know, you get that everybody out there. um but i haven't found that one yet but what i'm looking for is the same thing what you guys have yeah it's 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 a best friend yeah and when you have your your spouse or mate as your best friend everything else comes together once you lose that best friend status then everything else just starts to fall apart i agree we met we're 18 years old so we've kind of grown up together you know yeah that's fine we're just kids we always laugh we we felt like adults but you look back and literally just a couple weeks out of being away from our moms you know we we first met so we've been together since now you have three beautiful kids yeah yeah they travel with you on tour they do They, they like touring they like the little um like on the tour buses when they get their own little bunk and stuff yeah but they also like, you know, they're just good kids who like being home and like going to school and stuff. So they, they're funny because they're always like, are we going to miss school? I don't want to miss school, you know, because they have all their friends here. Right. So they like touring in the summer a lot and not taking breaks from school too much. Right. Um, and they're just going right here. Yeah. Same yeah, life just, you had growing sure. up yeah. and um, just loving it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Aspiring it's, surfers. It's fun the second time, I think, for most parents, you know, it's like you get to go through life and you just experience childhood and then when you get to see your kid go through it and you're actually aware you know you have the context of what it is yeah it's um it's pretty fun to be a parent get to start doing playing legos again you know and just realize how lucky you are to have time to sit there and build legos well you've got a pretty tight-knit family everybody's here that you grew up with you know your your parents um unfortunately your father passed away um your brothers are here uh everybody's still growing up in the same place all the kids get to interact with each other um my family all just spread apart you know yeah yeah. so it's not the same i'm ray i'm a full-time single dad Mm -hmm. and uh so he doesn't get to see all his family members like you know you guys do yeah it is nice pretty lucky it is really lucky it's um my dad you know i mean he sailed over here when he was about 20 years old he sailed to hawaii alone on a like a 25 foot boat and um so he had the opposite he kind of got away from his family uh right. you know we'd see them from time to time but they live back in california but yeah we all none of us wanted to go too far we yeah. all left for a little while did school and stuff and then came home and we're you know we're lucky there too my brothers are my best friends too and we surf together all the time and our kids hang out and my oldest brother his um his kids are like almost it's like un- uncles and aunties to my kids almost because they're already through college and stuff, you know. And yeah. uh, so it's great. They, they're like brothers, more like brothers and sisters, I guess. Well, everybody knows that you're a surfer, you know. Um, a lot of people don't know that you're a badass surfer. 
You know, you yeah. can surf pipe very well. And pipe is one of the most challenging waves on the planet. A, ways, a while back, I look at that wave now and it's just like, I know if there was no crowd on it and you could just like pick any spot to roll into one of those, it would be okay. But man, it's so, I mean, just from growing up there and surfing all the time, I just don't have a desire. Now I look at it and it's so crowded and it's just like so intense right at the takeoff spot, yeah. you know. I mean, getting, pull, you know, pulling up into one of those and it's still, I love getting barreled and all that stuff. And there's other spots that do that, but pipe, pipe's the best. I mean, I feel really lucky to have spent a lot of years focused on just surfing there. What was your heaviest moment out there? Definitely whacking my face. I mean, I got, I got a bunch of different scars from different times, but I got this one under my nose that kind of my, cut through my lip here, uh -huh. and then up into my forehead, a separate thing, but all happened at once. And then I broke my nose and then uh, knocked out one of my front teeth and then half of the other two around it. Jeez Louise. It was just all one time. And uh, that was definitely the heaviest, uh, well, I mean, the heaviest like moment, like one second, bam, just the whole thing happening. Uh, Would you go over the falls or Yeah, I was just, clamped? I was on a left um, and I just, yeah, so that's backside for me on regular foot. So I was grabbing rail on this left and going and going and going. And I kind of knew pulling into it, it was running a little fast, but it looked like one I could travel for a while. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the safest thing to do is just travel for a little while while the wave kind of loses energy. And then there's that moment where you just sort of, um, you just know when to jump off and it's, you kind of do this thing where you're, you're not trying to jump too high up in the face because you don't want to get pulled back over the falls, but you want to be careful not to go like too far down by the lip or like down by the bottom. So you're kind of just going just for the right spot where you can get through the back and not get pulled back over the falls. And I went right there where it felt like every other time I'd ever done it, but it was just a really, it was really low tide that day. Mm -hmm. And that thing that you see happen when a wave closes out, you see all the water shoot out the back. Right. I think it was just right at that moment, the best I can tell is that the wave closed out and it was just this air pocket that opened up. And so when I jumped off waiting to feel that water that I normally felt, I just went straight onto rock. You know, that just, little trough yeah, zone. Yeah, it just yeah. opened up. I mean, you know when you're traveling in a barrel and you just feel the board drop out underneath yeah. you? I just hit that little drop out right at the moment where there was nothing there and it was really shallow. So, yeah, I just went straight into a, you know, into the coral. And, uh, yeah, when they brought me in, I remember the guy had to, like, work for a little while digging a little coral that was, like, oh. stuck in my skull right here. And uh, Mom was tripping up. Uh, Mom was tripping, but she was pretty strong through it all. Uh, luckily, I ran into this other guy who was staying next door on my way up the beach. Because it was right before dark. Sun had already set, actually. And um, I can I barely remember. I remember hitting my head, and then I remember getting out of the water a little bit. But I can't remember too much in between. It was like a little slight concussion. And um, I remember walking up the beach, and I saw this guy walking towards me. And he was lucky. He was a paramedic, and he was staying next door, and he... So he was real calm and he's like, here's what he's like, I don't want your mom to see, she's gonna kind of freak out. So I just want to kind of warn her. So he walked just about 10 steps ahead of me because he knew she was sitting up on the deck and mm -hmm. he kind of, I heard him saying like, don't worry, Jack is fine. He cut himself a little bit here, but stay calm. And so she, I think for me, she stayed pretty calm through it all, you know? And my dad was good. Cause like in the car, I remember him, I was pretty messed up looking. I mean, it was funny, but I remember him on the way to the hospital saying, don't worry, chicks dig scars. It'll be fine, you know, chase yeah. the scars. So, um, yeah, that was it. But that was like the heaviest moment if I just had to boil it down to like that. But there was this one day, me and my friend Josh Lanau, who used to surf out there a lot together, uh, we always talk about this one day in particular where we were the only two guys out 
we got, you know, by the time we were like seniors in high school, we felt pretty comfortable to go out on any day. Mm-hmm. We kind of knew how to, you know, worst thing is going to happen, you're going to have to bail. If you're out in the second reef, the, when it gets really big, it's funny because wave almost softens up. Anybody who surfs it a lot knows that right on that first reef is you where it just... You can get a roll in on the second. Yeah, the first reef is where it just unloads all of its energy. And so the hardest the hardest type of pipeline to surf is when it's big enough that it's, uh, you know, it's almost breaking second reef, but it's not quite. Right. And you can't get in on the second reef and then it just holds its, you know, it just starts to feather like that. And then it comes and it's, you almost can't get into it on the first reef. But guys like, you know, like John John and Kelly and all those guys that know how to just take off under the lip and slide into it. Um, that eight to 10 foot yeah. range. A lot of guys have figured that out more. It's funny because my brother PD used to be really good at that. Poncho Sullivan, mm-hmm. Johnny Boy Gomes. There was certain guys that were kind of forerunners on being able to just pig dog and slide right into it. And um, I could never do that as well. So I always liked to go out when it was even a little bigger because then it was you could take off on the second reef, which was a lot easier to get in on the wave. And then you could go over that double up and just roll into right. the first reef. Amayan's really good at that. Yeah. Certain guys, you know, they like that style of just getting in really deep and uh rolling into it and so there was a lot of days where we go out where it didn't look that good nobody else was out but if it was second reef worst thing was you're gonna have to bail a couple of big gigantic white washes but it didn't have that shallow energy um mm-hmm. like inside pipe and so this one day though we it was kind of the biggest day we'd probably been out there and stuff and then it was just a weird day it was really hard like a big north set would come in and the west ones were kind of like really hard to get into the wave and so it started getting dark we were probably like 17 i was 17 he was 18 and uh, i remember it started getting dark and we made an agreement like okay don't go on a wave unless i go too like we got to ride the same wave and mm-hmm. we don't want to leave either of us out here alone and it just kept getting darker and darker and then we eventually had to just like paddle down towards gums which you know anybody knows area too and like when gums is a big close out sandbar it's almost heavier you could break your neck really easy it's right. pretty intense and uh but we just it was almost the point where we couldn't even see anymore we just had to start paddling in towards our house and um and just wait we could almost hear the waves coming more than you could see them and just get pounded through uh gums but to us i mean i remember that feeling of well we're way over our head we thought we could handle anything i should have prefaced it by saying at that age we kind of felt like we could be out there on any day uh-huh. but we were out there and realized we shouldn't have been out you know and it right. was nobody else around lifeguards already gone for the day and it was just got dark but those are those moments where you really grow. You know, you find your edge and you know where to pull back a little bit. And who, it was, were you, who were your inspirations growing up surfing? Abe Lerner, funny yeah. enough, you know, that he was um, he was with us the last couple of days hanging out uh-huh. at the G-Love shows too. But when we were all kids, he was like three or four years older than us. And um, my best friend, Adam Lerner, is his younger brother. And so we used to sit on the front porch and watch him when he'd go surf Big Pipe. Right. And all of us would think, okay, Maybe in a couple of years we can do it, you know, and we'd kind of follow him out and just sit on the shoulder and kind of try to shoulder hop a little bit when somebody else missed a wave. But he was always the one sitting out at the peak and and then going right, he would take off and go on big rights and stuff. Because, you know, it's funny. I mean, you think of backdoor as such a rideable wave now, but it was really during our generation um, and right before that boards, even the board design got to the point mm-hmm. where there was enough rocker and stuff to really start going on some of those heavy back doorways. I mean, there's amazing footage, obviously, of like Sean Thompson, all these guys getting really barreled. But single fins and that kind of stuff is hard to ride a back door, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've, sure. We've gone and goofed around on some old retro boards before, and you end up just kind of eating crap out there a lot. But um, 
So anyways, like those thrusters with a little more rocker stuff made where guys like Abe, you know, I just remember him going on waves of, wow, I've never seen somebody go on a wave like that on a right, you know, right. and just seeing him pulling in and making it out sometimes. And you guys would all pretty much hang out over at Benji's house, that whole zone right through yeah. there. And yeah, Benji, I mean, we'd hang out there a lot. I My house was a couple down. And so um, a lot of the kids that grew up, like around here, my friends Adam and Abe, <clears throat> Seth McKinney, Paul Hatter, and Josh, and uh, we'd all hang at my house. It would, people would go between the two a lot, but um, Benji's house became kind of like just like full on, just like his parents were really sweet about taking in a lot of, you know, whether it's guys from Outer Island and stuff. I mean, Shane and Conan Hayes. and Well, Conan stayed at my house for a while. My parents were amazing about letting friends crash out too. Mm-hmm. But Benji's... Uh, yeah, definitely became like during the whole momentum era, you know, and yeah. when Taylor Steele started coming over here, there was definitely a lot of people sleeping on his floor <laughs> yeah. certain nights. Well, I saw Taylor last night um, leaving Kelly's house. Oh, yeah, I heard he was around. And so I guess today they're filming. Are you going to be part of that? I think it's that new momentum movie. Oh, cool. I don't know. They're, le- so. they're leaving me out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're pro- they're probably putting you down for the soundtrack. Right, right. So um, uh, when was the last time you were on tour? 2014 was the real last tour we did Mm -hmm. and then we've done kind of like one show the last couple of years um like a different festival Mm -hmm. we did one called kabo in san diego this year that was really fun and then um done a bunch of little shows or things like sit-ins with friends that are in town things like that but um, a lot of little fundraisers up in wyman valley right a lot of school visits and playing music for kids and stuff so i stay pretty active uh playing music and playing live, but just more unannounced and acoustic right. in Hawaii and stuff like that. But the last, yeah, full tour we did was 2014. Nice. And where did that take you? That one was pretty much um, across the States and went through Europe quite a bit and uh, South America uh-huh. and Japan, Australia, and New Zealand. That's kind of our route. There's always other cool places to go play, but I really like touring, but I also like finding the balance and um, kind of found myself at a place where it's hard to think about going and like working a new area where, you know, to get a place going, you got to go back and kind of make sure to uh, keep coming back and playing for those fans and stuff. And mm-hmm. those spots that we that I just kind of went over, I mean, it seems to be the places we tend to go a lot. You can surf in most of those spots too. I mean, not all of them, and I don't always need to surf. I like to get away from it sometimes. It's fun to go like, you know, into Europe and go uh, deep into spots that are way far from the ocean and mm-hmm. experience different things. And do you give yourself time between shows, yeah, so that you can enjoy life. We do more now instead of yeah. just boom, 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 powering yeah. them out. I mean, if it's hard when you're first getting going and somebody shows you how much you're spending a day on the buses mm-hmm. and paying the crew and all that stuff, it's hard not to feel like you got to work every night. Um, you know, just to make it all make sense financially, and then. Now, if we decide to tour, um, a big part of it is like the family road trip and mm-hmm. routing it out so that we can go places we want to go. And so building in those days off is kind of just part of that. You know, it comes along with why we even tour now. Is- and yeah, that's how I would see it. Because like if I would want, if I went on tour, if I was a musician or whatever, um, I wouldn't want to just go bang out all these cities. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to go see what the country's about, yeah, what that fun. city's about. And the cool thing with bringing kids too is like, they they don't stay up too late you know it's funny because sometimes if we're on hawaii time zone and then we fly to i remember one night in barcelona we went we had to go pretty much from here i think we flew into 
New York and we stayed there for a night or something. Then we flew to Barcelona and we were just completely backwards on time. Mm -hmm. So there was, and my kids were little, like they're, some of them were still on a stroller and stuff. And uh, there was just no chance of getting them to bed before they were ready to go to bed. So I can remember like walking around Barcelona, like three in the morning with three kids, like my 12 year old, well, he wasn't 12, he was like probably seven back then. And my little girl in the stroller and stuff and people just looking at us like, what in the hell? Cause we didn't know which part we were into. We were probably in like right. shady areas and just walking around at three in the morning with a little family. <laughs> and so we get that sometimes. But uh, the nice thing is once they get on the routine, they wake up pretty early um, and it's easy to go to justify like, okay, I just played a big show last night. There's a lot of friends in town. We stayed up pretty late. I deserve to sleep in till whenever, you know, but when you got a kid just going like, daddy, I want to go to the museum or dad, let's go to the park, or, mm -hmm. you know, let's get down and walk around the city. It's cool because even though I get like definitely a big lack of sleep by the end of the tour, um, we see a lot and we get out and we walk around with the kids every day and it's, they, they really motivate us to get out and see things. Do you bring like your favorite pillow and stuff with <laughs> you on tour? I don't bring a pillow, but I bring, I mean, the I've obvious. I started bringing a pillow. Oh yeah? Yeah. I probably should. I'm at that age now, but uh, you should bring like skateboards, surfboards, um, depending. I mean, if, if we know we're going to be close enough to the coast that we're going to surf mm -hmm. a lot, if we're going to be just hitting the coast a couple of times, then I'll usually just try to find a place where I can just borrow a board or something, you know, right. or like rent a board for somebody. Have you ever been just like cruising down from San Francisco to LA or somewhere on the East Coast, whatever, and all of a sudden see a killer surf spot right there and nobody out and just stop yeah, the bus and totally i mean the last tour we did actually the um we were in berkeley and then our hotel was going to be in silver lake the next night to go be near emmett and his family and stuff and then this swell hit there was like a big south swell and we changed the whole plan like I had to leave a day early from up there because it had been a while since we surfed and there's other guys that like to surf on the tour too so we mm -hmm. jammed down and that's the last one I remember. You gotta but have your salt salt water fixed. Yeah, and I've borrowed a lot of boards over the years because um, I'll usually kind of cruise down to a beach and just start looking around and seeing if there's a group of friends that look like they're hanging and they've uh -huh. already surfed and there's like an extra longboard laying around. Right. And people are pretty cool about that, whether they recognize me or not. You know, I mean, it's sometimes um, you can tell if a group recognizes you and then you're way more in. Can I yeah. borrow your board? You know, but then other times I've from people I can tell didn't recognize me at all, but they're just cool people who realized I needed a waiver too. That's cool. You know, and that's really cool. I would do the same. If you're already sitting there and some guy looks like he's not gonna ding your board. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever busted one up? No, you one? no, no, not that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> um here, uh take my guitar instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um that's really cool. So what are your some of your favorite places that you've been to? Oh, I mean, New Zealand is pretty amazing. Uh -huh. Um just for when, you know, all the time that you are driving around or when you're flying in and that's the obvious one. It's so the scenic beauty there is just kind of untouchable. Australia is great because everything's on the coast. Right. And so we do surf a lot there. You can almost well, surf I've, every day. I flew with you last year. Yeah, to that's right. Yeah, I forgot. That's so, right. yeah. So that's fun. And the, the culture there is so based around surfing that everybody kind of gets it, you know, that um, promoters and stuff kind of try to get you down to the beach and all that. So that's all fun in that way. But then in a whole different way, I mean, it's really cool to go. And um, remember one time we were near the Swiss Alps. We were playing in that area. And uh, we were about to get on the bus and take off after the show. And some people just offered us, said, oh, if you want to come and, and uh, snowboard or ski, you can come with us for the next couple of days. We're going to go up here. And so 
little things like that. I mean, it's a really um, amazing situation where people offer you all kinds of, you know, unique experiences like that mm -hmm. on tour. And it's easy to be tired and just go get sleep, but then it's nice to go and just take people up on those offers and do it. So I remember skiing. Yeah, we got the snowboard, the Swiss Alps one time, and that wow. was pretty amazing for us. We were above the clouds and me and the drummer, the drummer surfs in the band, my friend Adam. Uh -huh. So he joined me for that one. And, um, but yeah, anywhere. Japan is great. I love going to Japan. It's always um, Kyoto, like going to all the temples in Kyoto. We always visit there. And that's a real unique experience for the kids too. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's cool. Um, do the rest of your bandmates bring their families as well? Yeah, off and on. So How they, many um, buses do you guys have? We just have two um, for the band. You know, the band It's like usually my family and the piano player's family tour together a lot because... Um, the piano player in the band, his wife, Jessica, she helps run all of our, um, like the outreach to the nonprofit groups mm -hmm. and, um, the foundation that we have, um, the Johnson Ohana foundation, which is like, we give out a lot of grants to different nonprofits and all the places we tour mm -hmm. from the money we raise at the shows. And, um, so she helps coordinate all that with my wife and we've all known each other since college. Me and the piano player, uh, went to college together and both of our wives all in the same class. And... So we tend to, we're always on the same bus and then all our kids are around the same age mm -hmm. and everything. So our bus is like a clown car when it pulls up somewhere. It's like people just trip out on how many humans keep getting off the thing. Right. So we're packed always like crazy. And then um, the other bus, yeah, it depends. Like uh, Adam and Merlo, Adam's the bass player. Merlo's, sorry, Adam's the drummer. Merlo plays bass. And uh, Merlo's family's come out from time to time. His daughter's older and he's got a younger daughter now. So mm -hmm. I mean, a younger son, sorry. And so they, yeah, they come out as well. Um, it kind of gets all mixed up on who's on whose bus. Right. Yeah. Now, speaking of your foundation, um, you did a tour a few years back where you donated every single thing from your tour to the foundation. Yeah, we did it from um, 2008 to 2013 for all those years of touring. Yeah. We, we made them basically uh, like fundraising tours. And we put all the money into both the Kakua Hawaii Foundation uh -huh. and into the Johnson Ohana Foundation. And the difference between those two is um, Kokua is here, is based in Hawaii, and we're real involved with that one day to day. It's program based. We we have curriculum that we've developed for the schools. There's uh, garden lessons for uh, for kindergarten through sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it depends on which uh, which year you are in school, but it could be anything from like a butterfly garden for kindergartners to um, a scientific garden for fifth graders. Um, fourth grade is native plants and like canoe plants. So it's that one's really fun and really interactive here in Hawaii. And um, we were doing the Kukua Festival for as a fundraiser for years and years. Mm -hmm. And by donating money from all those, from some of those tours, it was, we were able to get it to like a more financially stable place that we knew what our budget would be every year. And we could, um, we could really put more into the foundation and more time running it without having to do the festival every year. Cause that's a big thing in itself. As soon as you, you're done with that last day of the festival. It's like, okay, start planning for next year and right. you know, all that. So it's been nice to be able to do some big shows still that uh, benefit the the foundation, but to not have to do that the festival every year has been nice for us because we can focus more on the programs. And um, then the other foundation is the Johnson Ohana Foundation. And we started that because once we started doing the Kokua one, the other shows just felt like they were lacking something. It was so nice to do a show where bringing all these people together. And like you were saying before, you know, we feel so lucky that our music is able to kind of like lift people and, mm -hmm. and be a positive thing. And it feels really good. 
but to know that that like the money being raised was going back into the towns um, that we were playing at, that was just a really good feeling and something we were kind of shooting for is um, with that new foundation. Mm-hmm. So what that one does, the the Johnson Ohana Foundation is we give grants to nonprofits world worldwide worldwide, but it focuses on a lot of the places we play. So especially when we're on tour, um, the money from those shows will go into those. And we still do donate a lot, but from 2008 to 2013, for those five years, it was really setting those two foundations up 100%. Right. Have you thought about doing something with what Kelly and Shane have been doing with Omaze? Yeah, I've heard so about that. Sounds cool. Yeah. Gets to everybody bids on it. It goes to your own charity or foundation yeah. that you want to put it to, and somebody gets to have an experience with you. Whether yeah, that they get really to cool. come to one of your shows, have dinner, hang out. Yeah, I should write a song about them. Yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Done a little bit of stuff like that. I remember for, um, I mean, different. But when you said write a song for them for uh, on NPR or the Hawaii Public Radio, we did. I was there for one of their uh, when they're raising funds, you know, for mm-hmm. the year. And we had this idea sitting there. Next person who calls in, Jack. Well, the guy kind of whispered off the side, "Hey, would you write a song for somebody? You know, if they if they donate over a certain amount." And I said, "Sure, why not?" And then it was like. Then we started all these different ideas like, okay, next person who calls in and donates X amount of dollars, I'll make um, an outgoing voice message for your answer machine. You oh, know? there so you go. We started doing a bunch of those. So that was funny. And I promised a bunch. And then it was like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I actually have to do it now. <laughs> I had to get, they sent me all these names and like what they're hoping to could say. It was really funny. I had to spend like a day just like writing all these outgoing answering machine voicemail messages. Too funny. It was funny. Can but I it was actually one? fun. You mind doing sure, it? Sure, sure. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to do it for me. Um, that's really cool. Now, um, living here in Hawaii, uh, we both know um, this is such an amazing place. And it's all about our environment in which we live in and keeping it special for the next generation yeah. and the next one on there, um, protecting what we love. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been very huge in making an impact on that. Yeah, um, thanks with recycling, with going green. Um, your whole family is everything about you is about being green. Um, from all the way up to your tour, you try to make everything green about it. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that? Uh, how did you get started in all of that? Yeah, that's um, Cause I remember when question, you, yeah. you first started with uh, uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah, and that was a good starting point, but that, you know, it's something we're still involved with. Um, we kind of joke that's like the gateway action, you know, to getting into a school. That's the easy one that kind of any school will say, yeah, we should recycle. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody should be recycling at this point in history. And um, But at this point, so we, we have different programs with the foundation. One of them is plastic free. And that's like once we have a school on the three R's program of reduce, reuse, recycle, then it's like we try to get them on plastic free, which mm-hmm. is that's trying to eliminate things at the source. So rather than using uh, plastic water bottles, uh, single-use plastic water bottles. It's getting the schools to kind of commit to uh, reusable bottles and mm-hmm. like uh, just different things. You know, any way you can eliminate plastic out of your life. And so for us, I mean, I you know, you always look at yourself and how can you better. And so for us, a big part of it is after a show, especially in the old days, you look out and you would just see the lawn littered with single-use plastic water bottles. And that's something that you know I'm bringing these people together, and I'm a big part of why this is happening. So I had to take a look at how could I do something better. So, you know, on this next tour, and it's something we've been trying to implement for a while now, but this next tour is kind of exciting because a lot of the venues are coming on board mm-hmm. with a reusable pint program. So instead of oh, getting cool. a plastic beer cup or 
any drink you get, water, whatever, in a plastic cup. You pay a little more for the first one, but you get a cool stainless steel pint cup that has like the show branded on it. And then you have an incentive to come back where it's like every drink you get is like a dollar off. And right. so a lot of the venues are being really cool about honoring it for the whole season too. So if you get it at one show in the beginning, you can keep bringing it back in the whole oh, season. Cool. You end up saving all kinds of money in the end. And so, you know, little things we can do with that kind of stuff. Um, for me, the big thing is like my two worlds collide when I look at a venue after we played a show and you see all the single use plastic. And then if I go surf on the east side of the island and step over the high tide line and I see all this plastic on the beach, you know, mm -hmm. and I just think as somebody who loves to surf this spot or any spot I go surf, anytime I see plastic on the beach, as somebody who loves to surf and, you know, enjoys the ocean all the time, but I see the realities of all this plastic and more and more, I mean, the difference from when I was a kid surfing on the east side of the island to now it's just like exponential right you know it's crazy you see the beaches down there and um and so whenever i see that i just like i gotta do everything i can with this industry that i'm a part of how can i better this industry mm -hmm. and so really we're just part of the conversation i mean i feel really proud to be you know included a lot of times people talk about things that are happening um but it's a group of us and it's definitely like my wife is amazing with all this she's really progressive on how we can better every tour we do, uh, but our tour managers and our whole crew, everybody's so on board, you know, it's like a big family out there when we tour. Try and to eat nothing but organic. Yeah, we do a lot with that where we- Local, um, Local, especially, we try to source everything within a certain radius of the show. We try to get more of the vendors. I mean, our own backstage we can control pretty easily mm -hmm. with, um, with doing that kind of stuff, sourcing locally with the catering and everything, but even out in front, like trying to get the food vendors out in front to start so sourcing more locally. And the cool thing is, you know, a lot of these bigger venues, like the outdoor amphitheaters we play, um, you start having pull with, with those guys because they want you to come back and play their venue. And especially when you have conversations with other bands playing those venues. And if everybody starts making these suggestions, they want to stay hip and they want to stay ahead of the curve. And so more and more you're hearing them talking about their, their food vendors being sourced locally these reusable pint programs. It's something that um, it's not just like one hippie festival over here is doing. It's like pretty major venues. Like New York is looking like a good one for our next tour. And Santa Barbara Bowl, last time we played, they already did this uh, reusable pint program. And it, mm -hmm. it went off. People were stoked on it and it was great. So yeah, we're hoping like this next tour is going to get even more people involved with that. Because there's the greening, you know, like there's the greening of a tour of trying to make, you're trying to mitigate the negative impact of a tour. But there's also this thing of expanding on the positive, mm -hmm. um, which that's kind of where the Johnson Ohana Foundation comes in for me. It's like every one of those venues, we have nonprofit groups come, and those are people who are involved in their community all the time, not just that one night the show's there. So if we can bring awareness to those people and then also put some money in and help fund their programs, and then we leave town, and I feel like we're not just leaving a big environmental footprint on the town, but instead we're actually... Things are happening that wouldn't have happened if the show didn't come through. And then we come back next time and we've developed a relationship where we get to see those positive impacts, you know, and mm -hmm. see how those those other uh, organizations have grown. So that's the nice thing, too, is um, expanding the positive. Right. Are you guys getting involved with the Pacific Gyrie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've been working with those guys quite a bit. Um, we did, I did a thing last summer, actually, where I went on one of their data collection trips. We went mm -hmm. out to... Um, the North Atlantic Gyre, and we um, we did every day. You do multiple. Uh, you run the trawl behind. You'd pull it up. We would do counts on all the plastic we'd we'd find out there. 
So that was great. Cause is it something that, because I've never done anything yeah. like that, is it something like when you get to it, it's just visible? No, and that everywhere? was a crazy thing. Uh, you have to watch this film. I made a, a little short documentary called Smog of the Sea that my friend uh, Ian Chaney is a great uh -huh. filmmaker, and he came on board and helped us make it. And uh, the interesting thing for everybody on board, the Malo a couple of the Malloys came along, Keith and Dan and Kimmy Warner, and um, Mark Cunningham was there. And for all of us, it was kind of like, Okay, they would tell us, okay, you're, you're crossing into this gyre now. And we'd look out and be like, nope, it's still blue. You guys are wrong. And uh, sure enough, every time you'd pull in one of those trawls, you would just be willing to bet 100 bucks there's going to be nothing in there. It's just perfect blue ocean. But every time you pulled it in, it was just all this microplastic. Wow. And so, I mean, that's really the the message that like five gyres and a lot of these groups are trying to get out now is it's not, just, it's not a big landfill that we can go and just clean up. Right. It's basically like billions of microplastics. It's, it's like a, a smog is kind of what they're calling it, or a plastic soup, you know, it's, you don't necessarily see it until you take a fine mesh and comb mm -hmm. through it. And so the idea of trying to clean that up, and you think about all these little microorganisms out there, you can't really just go scoop up all of it because it's like you're maybe scooping up the life too. And Right, and the fish know. are feeding off that. Yeah, it's a yeah, whole ecosystem yeah. feeding off of these little So microbes. it's pretty interesting, yeah. It's... Um, you know, it's and it's interesting too what you're talking about just with Hawaii being such a beautiful place and a lot of the imagery people see of Hawaii is the nice, you know, the the coastlines that are so pristine and everything, mm -hmm. which we do have and we're lucky to get to experience that. But it is interesting how there's the, the windward side of every island. It's like I was talking about from the difference from when I was a kid to now and, uh, and really seeing that. Sometimes I feel like I just got to like sound the alarm so people realize like, how much plastic is actually washing up you know mm -hmm. you see you see some of those coastlines and uh some of the high tide lines and it's literally just a pile of of garbage 99 percent of it plastic because it's not you know degrading and so and whether, then it's, you, whether it's from normal consumption whether it's from fishing yeah yeah i mean a lot of it's fishing gear but a lot of it's just like it's all this recognizable stuff from our own lives toothbrushes and straws mm -hmm. and slippers bottle caps slippers and you know whatever and a lot of it's unnameable at this point because it's just become microplastic it's you know fragmented down to the point where it's just sand now and you take a scoop of it underneath the stuff and i don't mean to go so depressing on this but you take a scoop and you start looking and what looks like colorful sand and you dig like a foot or two down and it's just part of the makeup of the sand now you know wow. and it's basically these little sand grains of plastic now that are becoming part of our ecosystem. Yeah, Indonesia was one of the scariest places for that for me. Yeah. Um, because you watch them, and they just, in their own rivers, they just dump everything and yeah, anything yeah. in there. And um, and all that stuff has to go out into the ocean. And sometimes you see at some of the surf spots, rubbish just floating yeah. all through. And, and the heavy thing about a lot of that, too, is like um, those places that don't have any kind of infrastructure set up, that's a... In the end, that's like where we're shipping a lot of our recyclables, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of the, and they, they, they go through it and they look for the few things that are recyclable and a lot of it just gets put right into rivers and stuff that are flowing out. And so even though a lot of the trash seems like it's coming from these other countries, a lot of it's our trash that's getting shipped over wow. there, you know, and then getting put in there. I didn't know that. We need I to mean, not necessarily local, Indonesia, yeah. but, you know, home, I mean, yeah. uh, a lot of like in China and stuff, a lot of the places where the recycling is actually happening, so much of it is actually just going right back in the ocean. Right. Right. Um, now, speaking of your new tour, um, it's coming up here soon. Yeah. Uh, when is that? 2017. Yeah, it's um, summertime. So it'll be the first tour we've done in a while. It's going to be east, yeah. east Coast and West Coast of the U.S. We're just kind of starting there. Cool. We might add on some more, but at this point, we're going to, um, in June and July, I 
think, let's see, June, we're going to be East Coast. And then July, I think, is West Coast, if I'm not mistaken. Sweet. Yeah. Um, do you have a new album coming out? You know, not yet. The surf has been too good this winter. <laughs> it, it has. I really planned on kind of doing one. And then then I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll make an EP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, you know, I've been jumping in the studio a little bit and writing a little bit. And I got some stuff. But it's hard when you don't, like, have a hard deadline. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have a hard deadline right now. And so... We might just be touring and playing some oldies with goodies. That's good. <laughs> or we might we might come out with a little something. We're kind of checking it out at this point. No, that's good. And we got a big swell coming here towards the end of the week. Oh, too. see, there you go. I won't super be super light winds. I won't be in the recording studio next week. It sounds like. Did you get that Christmas Day swell? Well, I looked at it. It was Christmas Day. My kids had all kinds of fun right. stuff, and so um, no, it was amazing looking. We went down to wash pipe a little bit. That was really fun. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I'll, I was I was at home on the Big Island, and I just got to see all the stuff on Surfline and yeah. Instagram, and yeah. just everything blowing up. That no, was amazing. Um, we're gonna wrap things up here because I know you got a busy day, and the surf is just like head high and glassy and That's perfect. Right. Right I gotta now. I, I gotta apologize for boosting my kid right in front of you yesterday. <laughs> we're surfing Pupakea. You're coming down a perfect left, I and was, I was like, my kid, he, he's. You know, he's just a little guy, and so I, I push him out of the wave still for people who are listening. But I, it's uh, all right. But I saw Dozer coming. I was like, "Don't worry, it's my friend." I was <laughs> in right in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I went in on that one. It was yeah, good. It was good. good. It's good to see the kids growing up and getting the waves. We've had a ton. Yeah. I'm 50 years old, so I've caught more than you. Yeah, so. that's right. That's right. Um, but it's fun. Now, um, where can people find you at? Well, hopefully, they don't find me. What do you mean? Like, no, <laughs> social media wise, oh, okay, website yeah, yeah. wise. Um, well, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, JackJohnsonMusic.com, maybe? No, yeah. you, I wouldn't expect you to know. But I'm so bad with that stuff. My, uh, It's funny because this day and age, like everybody's doing their own stuff. And my friend sends out our Instagrams for me or something. I don't really do Instagram. I kind of missed it. And uh, so it's funny because sometimes I'll get people that think they're talking to me, maybe. Like right. When I talk to younger people and I always have to tell them, like, no, no, it's not me. It's somebody else doing that for me, <laughs> uh, like sending out little things. I mean, we try to keep it third person so they know we're not right. faking that it's me or anything. But So anyways, my long answer to your short question is that I don't really know. <laughs> what about a website? <laughs> Google my name, maybe. Uh, yeah, it's jackjohnsonmusic.com, I think. Okay, and yeah. they can buy albums, uh, think so, previous right? movies, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We got our, like, old surf movies and stuff up there. So yeah, it's kind and, of a fun way to find that. And People, you don't want to miss out on some of these surf movies. They are great. Like they're I said, fun to make. Thicker Than Water and September Sessions and um, some of my favorites ever. Appreciate um, it. You're one of my favorites ever. Thanks, thanks Jack. Yeah, thanks, Dozer. That was fun. And um, wish you luck on your new tour. And let's go out there and get a wave. Sounds perfect. Hey, Jack, thanks for being on the show. Um, you've got a great song you're going to do for us right now? Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, I can call it great because I didn't write it. It's a song by Loudon Loudon Wainwright, one of my favorite songwriters. It's one of my favorite songs. At the station you can meet her with that smile You couldn't cheat her, a woman so kind It's hard to find good to take a girl in the not-so-very-good world For a walk in the park Until it gets dark Ah, oh, sometimes I feel ugly and old Excuse me if I'm acting too bold My head gets hot but my feet are not cold Excuse me 
if you will You take a breather on the bench Helps to build up the suspense Then the two of you go To a movie show If she's a woman there's a chance That she maybe likes the dance So you go to the hall And you outstep them all I ain't no hullabaloo, I ain't no hoi polloi Trying a trick and I'll pull any ploy I'm a used up 21st century boy oh, excuse me, if you will Gotta remember the next part She takes you home to meet the folks Laughing at the father's jokes Should we watch TV? Yeah, it's all right with me You're gonna leave, you're gonna miss her in the doorway Try to kiss her Oh, it tastes so good Just like you knew it would Ought to be 16 again, I'd give my eye tooth I'm a little uncool and I'm a little uncouth I'm tired and I'm hungry and I'm looking for my youth Oh, excuse me If you will At the station you can meet her With that smile you couldn't cheat her A woman so kind It's hard to find Thanks Jack for being on the show What a great song Woo um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And thanks to my sponsors, such as Oakley. Go check them out at oakley.com. They have the best sunglasses around. They have the prism lenses. They're patented. They're bar none. Nothing's better. They have a daily prism, a deep water prism, a shallow water prism, a golf prism. You name it, they got it. Go check them out, oakley.com. Also, Deuce Jim. If you're ever in Venice Beach, go check these guys out because this is where I go to get my workout on when I'm in Southern California. Um, they will customize their workout to fit your body, whether um, you're 8 or 80 and all you want to do is cardio or strength training or strongman training or CrossFit, you name it, they got it all. Go check them out, Deuce Gym in Venice Beach. Now, every morning, you guys know I'm at Kona Coffee and Tea because that's where I get my crack on. It's the best coffee in the morning, um, best coffee in the world, period. These guys grow the stuff up on the slopes of Hualalai, roast it, bring it down fresh for you, for I, every single day. Go check them out at KonaCoffeeAndTea.com. Um, get some coffee, send it out to you anywhere in the world. Best coffee in the world. You don't have to pay those super high prices that you get over in the mainland. Just go direct to the source. Uh, Maverick Sport Fishing, Captain Trevor Child, the best captain around. Uh, 808-896-7985, mavericksportfishingkona.com. These guys specialize in half-day charters, three-quarter-day charters, full-day charters, overnight charters, top-of-the-line gear, air-conditioned boat. This thing's killer. Um, beds, bathrooms, they got it all. They catch the biggest 1,000-pound marlins out there. Or if you just want to go out there and... Uh, Go see the dolphins, whatever. These guys will take care of you. Tell him you heard it on Doe's Nose. He will literally hook you up. Uh, Hurley Clothing, 
uh, big congrats out to John John Florence for winning the world title this year, uh, sporting their uh, phantom board shorts, you know, best board shorts on the planet. Um, I, I'm so in love with Hurley clothing from their jackets and pants and skinny jeans and you name it, even though I barely fit in those skinny jeans. <laughs> I need to go to Deuce Jam, obviously. But uh, yeah, go check them out, Hurley.com for all the best gear. Kona Boys, if you're ever here on the Big Island, they've been serving up gear for Island Life in Aloha since 2009. Uh, it's the one-stop shop for ocean fun. They operate a legit selection of local-style activities, including historical va'a rides, paddleboard tours, and lessons. And they're one of the only companies permitted to do kayak tours in Kalakekua Bay. So if you need rentals for bikes, boogies, or other beach goodies, Kona Boys is your spot. Go check them out. They have two locations, one down at Kamakahonu Bay at the King Kamehameha Beach Hotel, um, and then also down in Kalakekua. Um, they also have a website, konaboys.com. If you go in there in the store or on the website, make sure you tell them you heard it on Do on, Kona on Doze Nose. <laughs> That's right. You heard it on Doze Nose, and uh, they will give you 15% off whatever you want. Um, same on the website, punching promo code DOZNOSE, and it will get you taken care of. Um, I want to talk about my friends at Original Nutritionals. Um, these guys aren't your regular meathead supplement brand. They're just pure, basic, and essential food and supplements to support what they call a clean athlete lifestyle. My buddy Logan founded the company with a food-first approach, working with average men and women like you and I to the best action sports stars and team sport athletes in the world. These guys know how to do it right. Once again, head over to OriginalNutritionals.com. Grab what you need for listening. Enter in promo code DOZNOSE at checkout. Get 15% off and get some of that uh, omega fish oils or the coconut butters or the protein powders. It, it, this stuff is insane. You don't want to miss out on that. Also, uh, Mokalele Airlines, <laughs> best inner island airline there is. Um, they're a family-owned and operated business that uh, tries to make your inner island travel easy and affordable with over 120 flights daily throughout the Hawaiian Islands with no TSA. That's right, I said no TSA. Um, why would you not want to book your next trip or upcoming vacation with Mokalele Airlines? Uh, check them out at mokalele.com. Um, you can follow them on Facebook at Mokalele, at Twitter at Mokalele Air, and Mokalele, Mokalele Airlines on Instagram. Um, they also have really killer deals, online specials that are super, super cheap, man. You're just blown away. All of a sudden, there's like a $35 inner item flight coming out of nowhere. Um, so go check them out. Mokalele Airlines. Uh, Green, you guys have all heard about that superfood brew. I love them. It's Green, G-R-3-E-N. Um, these guys are legit. They're based out of Kailua on Oahu, and their mission is to help support healthy and active lifestyles with their organic and kick-ass beverage. Green superfood brew is the go-to beverage for surfers, divers, hunters, crossfitters, pretty much anyone who lives an action-packed lifestyle. The certified organic brew contains a powerful green tea to give you a natural boost, hydrating coconut water, 
to keep you going strong and kale to keep your body loaded up with phytonutrients. Look guys, if you haven't tried Green Superfood Brewery yet, you seriously don't know what you're missing. But there's good news. The boys at Green believe in their products so much and so do I that they're willing to let you try it for free. Just go to their website, that's G-R, the number three, E-N, dot org, and use the code DOZER3, that's DOZER3, and get a three-can trial pack for free. You just pay the flat rate USPS postage, which is, you know, four bucks or something like that, and you get these cans delivered to your door within a few days. This stuff sells for around three bucks a can in the stores, so here's your chance to get three cans for free. Get hooked like I am, and you, and you can find out firsthand what makes this super functional beverage and what it can do for you. I love the way it makes me feel, honestly, and I'm confident you will too. So try three for free today. Go to their website. That's gr the number three en.org. Use the promo code dozer3 and get a three can trial pack for free. There's also a link on my website, Doze Knows, so check it out. And uh, once again, thanks everyone for tuning in. And until next time, uh, here we go. If you don't know, now you're those knows.